Hi, I'm Dave Scott. I'm pastor of Crossway Community Church, and I want to welcome you. Crossway is a church simply committed to making disciples. We meet at 1501 Woodbury Road. It's off of Colonial and Fort Wayne in East Orlando. Come check us out. I look forward to meeting you. Some of you know uh, our daughter, uh, Anna Ludicky, who's over in Tampa, and she's part of the mission outreach of this church. They have four children. We have 12 grandchildren. We only have 11 that we've met. The 12th is on the way now. And, uh, but uh, in Anna's family, she has four boys, and number three is Zeke. Zeke's three years old. And so Anna was having a conversation with Zeke, uh, not this week, but last week. And uh, Zeke's this little, uh, full of energy, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, just a a bundle of fun and energy. And Anna said to him, Zeke, you're so handsome. And he says, yeah, I'm from the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) And and Anna says, Anna said to him, well, that's cool. I was born in the 80s. And he said, what? You were in the 80s? And he ran from the room to his older brothers yelling, guys, guys, mom was in the 80s, the 80s. (laughs) Now, I have no idea what what he thinks the 80s are. (laughs) Why he thinks he was in it and why he's surprised mom wasn't. But but when when I think about what Zeke's enthusiasm lacking understanding, I think of myself actually. And especially as Mike related of uh, the journey of coming to Jesus, I came to Christ in high school through the, the influence of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, a couple of Christian coaches and some other athletes. And uh, that's really where I got my start in the Christian life. So they were my they, to use Mike's term this morning. And, but, I, but because I had just kind of a bit of a nominal background, I had some church Sunday school, and I'd even been through a confirmation process, but... But it really hadn't registered anything, uh, any understanding in my life. So when I, I, I came to uh, Christ and through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, it was like altogether this new enthusiasm of the relationship with Christ. But I was like Zeke. I really didn't understand much of anything at all. And it took a few years before I began really putting the pieces together. Well, one of those uh, areas that, uh, that was kind of a a new view for me was the whole area of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is in the passage that is our assignment this morning, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. But what the, what the passage begins to help us understand is what discipleship, which is just another way of saying what the Christian life is, was then and now. What it was like for the disciples as they followed Jesus, but Jesus was preparing them for his life, for their life, after the crucifixion and resurrection when he would be exalted or ascended into heaven. What would discipleship look like then? So Jesus in this last farewell discourse that we've been going through as a church, John 14, 15, and 16, he's preparing them for life beyond. Or, and <clears throat> so I want to read the passage to you, and then, uh, then we'll kind of walk through it, dig in together into it. 
But John chapter 14 begins this way. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, note that. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you'll see me because I live, you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me is, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will, we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. And then his last paragraph, these things I have spoken to you while I was still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Quite a passage. There's a lot packed in there. We won't be able to unpack all of it in the course of these few minutes together this morning. But I want to take it apart and look kind of at this whole idea of, if I were to summarize it in, into one statement, I would put it this way. The Spirit makes our discipleship, that's our following Christ or our Christian life, He makes it an inside-out lifestyle. Okay, that becomes the key phrase, inside-out inside out. And you'll see that laced throughout this passage uh, as we walk through it together. But it starts in this way. It's loving from the inside out. And that's verse 15, the very first passage or very first statement. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's a, a congruity or a, a um, uh, linkage between what's true on the inside and what's true on the outside. On the inside is loving Jesus. That's an internal attitude or a posture of our heart. That's inside. But if it's true inside, it's going to issue forth in something on the outside. That's our behavior, our action. We're going to follow Christ. We're going to do what he commands us to do. Now, Jesus had encountered a lot of hypocrisy in uh, his day. 
He spoke against hypocrisy. It was one of the things that he was most opposed to. And today there's a lot of hypocrisy, isn't there? In fact, one of the most common objections that the secular non-believer has about the church is the hypocrisy within it. That there's too often there's not congruity. There's not a, a complement between what's true on the inside and what's true on the outside. Between what we say and what we do. But it's interesting how Jesus says it here. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He doesn't say you must keep my commandments. It's not a command. It's not a possibility or potential. He didn't say you might keep my commands. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. It's a statement. It's an indicative statement of fact that if there's love on the inside for Jesus, there'll be, there'll be obedience or keeping his commands as you go through. So it's a conditional, but it's assumed that if A is true, B will happen. But did you notice that as I read the passage, did you catch the very last thing he said? He said, he said in verse 31, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. He begins this passage saying, we'll obey, we'll keep his commands if we love him. But he says, he's kept the Father's commands because he loves the Father. Begins and ends with the very same concept. But it's not the only two times. It's like, it, he, like he's enveloping this whole section with the love and obedience, the, lo the uh, lo loving from the inside out. But three other times, did you know, he said the same thing. He said in verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. In verse 23, he said, Jesus answered him and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and we'll come and make our home with him. In verse 24, he reverses it or he, he flips it and says it in the negative. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. You see, there's this congruity, this uniformity, a unity between what's true on the inside, love for Christ, and obedience, what's true on the outside, our behavior for it. So to, to illustrate for just a second here, well, first, here's what Spurgeon said about the whole thing. He said, love's a practical thing. Love without obedience is mere pretense. True love shows itself by seeking to please the one who is loved. So I'd illustrate it this way. Suppose you're hanging around with me for a while, and I tell you that I love my wife. I love Nancy. And you start watching me, and, and I, I don't, I'm not attentive to her needs. I'm not paying attention to what her desires are. I'm just doing what I want, and I meet my own needs and all. You'd begin to question and think, he doesn't love his wife. He says he loves his wife, but it's not, it's not reality because he really loves himself. He's serving himself and just using his wife to meet his own needs. You know, there wouldn't be that congruity. You, you would expect, if I love my wife, then I'm going to give her my attention. I'm going to meet her needs. I'm going to re respond to her desires. It's going to show forth in my actions. And the same thing's true in the Christian life. That's why it's an inside-out relationship with Christ. If we love him, then we will serve him. We will obey him. We will follow with him. And so it begins with the idea of love and obey. 
That's the characteristic of the Christian experience or the Christian life. It's not how we begin the Christian life. You begin the Christian life, as Mike was sharing at the beginning, just simply by placing your faith in Christ and receiving him as your Savior and Lord. But having received him, how do you live the Christian life? You love him and obey him. Love and obey. Well, that brings up a, a little bit of a quandary in that I'm not necessarily a love and obey kind of guy. I actually am more selfish and self-centered and self-serving and self-dependent than uh, you might suspect. <laughs> well, maybe you don't Maybe you already suspect that. I don't know. <laughs> However, the thing about the Christian life is that there is more than just behavior, love and obey. Jesus actually then gives the capacity or the enablement to make it happen. So the second thing is that living from the inside out. We love from the inside out, but we live from the inside out. And this is how he says it, John 14, the next two verses, 16 and 17. says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Notice he says, and I will give you, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. The and connects this idea to what's preceded it. The idea of loving and obeying is not a disconnected. It's actually logically or Jesus is tying it to what follows here. He says, if you love and obey, I'm asking the Father and the Father is going to give you the helper. Notice that word helper. Now, that's an interesting translation. That's, this is the English Standard Version that you're reading, and, and uh, different versions translate it different ways. New American Standard Version, or Standard Bible, and the Good News Bible both use the same helper concept. The Old English, or the King James, remember King James versions? Did you all ever read those? King James Version uses the word comforter here instead of helper. You think, comforter? Why comforter? That sounds like a parent, you know, kind of kind of making this kid feel better when he's been hurt or disappointed or something, or a, or a quilt that you pull on to keep warm. You know, what, what's comforter have to do with the spirit of truth or the, the Holy Spirit? Well, the, in the Old English, comfort is, is a compound word where the come means uh, with or alongside with, and the fort of comfort actually meant strength. And so it's coming with strength. When this spirit that's promised, who will be a helper, will be an enabler, is one who brings his strength or his power. And we'll see that a little bit more in a, a few moments. Uh, some of the other translations use counselor, Re revised standard, new international, which has kind of an idea of almost an advisor. You know, I've got issues that I'm trying to figure out. I need a counselor. I need somebody to help me think this through. Or advocate is another translation of it. Uh, different translations use that, and it kind of feels a little more courtroom or legal and all. So what's going on with all these translations? And the answer is, well, the word in the Greek is paraclete. You don't need to try to remember that. But paraclete is a compound word that we don't have any one English word that has the exact same set of meanings for it. The semantic range or the meanings of paraclete is different than any of our words in English. So there's no perfect match. So all of these begin to give you some idea 
but not a complete idea. So what are you left to do? Well, it's in the other word there. It's another helper. Why is it another helper? This term, paraclete, is used in these, this passage, John 14, 15, 16, uh, three other times. There's only one other time in the rest of all of Scripture it's used, and that's in 1 John chapter 2, in the first couple verses of 1 John 2, and it's used of Jesus. He is our advocate. He is our helper. And so when the Spirit comes, He's coming as another one, another one like Jesus. So while we don't have a word to describe what the paraclete, the helper, is, we have a model or an example. It's Jesus. The Spirit is going to do for us what Jesus did for the disciples. Only, only, notice there's some difference here. He says, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper, someone to come beside you to enable, to give you power, counsel, to uh, help you. He will be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Remember, Jesus was only with them for a season, a time. But the Spirit will be with them forever. And he goes on, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Jesus was present with them. Jesus had been baptized by the Spirit or anointed with the Spirit at his baptism. You remember, he was led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit. He was with them, and so the Spirit was with them. But now the Spirit that has empowered Jesus is going to be in the disciples, with them and in them, in them and with them forever. That's the difference in why it's an inside-out lifestyle because the Spirit's going to be in and with forever. Now, that was promised all through Scripture. That was promised back in the Old Testament prophets. But Jesus highlighted that promise here in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. We looked at that a uh, couple months ago when we were in John 7. Jesus said this way, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood in the midst, and he said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's the invitation. You're thirsty, you're hungry for something spiritual, come to me and I will satisfy you. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, that's you come to Jesus in faith, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, the Old Testament prophets, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There it is, the inside out, that from the heart will flow the rivers of the living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, but as of yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he was looking forward to this, but he was promising the time when those who come to Jesus in faith, who believe in him, would receive as the gift, the birthday gift from God is the very Spirit of God himself, and he would be like rivers of living water. So let me illustrate it this way. If, if I'm thirsty and I take a glass, take a bottle of water, or a glass of water, or whatever. How much water am I consuming? Well, it depends how thirsty I am, but not that much. You got eight ounces, 12 ounces, 16 ounces, or whatever. So I, I drink to satisfy my thirst, but what flows from me spiritually when you drink from Jesus? Rivers of living water. How much water is in a river? Endless. Abundant and endless. It just keeps flowing and overflowing. 
There is no end to what the Spirit of God will do coming in and through the believer as they come to Jesus and drink from him. But notice it's not just river. It's not one river. It's rivers of living water. It's like super abundance of water flowing from them. So this is why if you begin to understand this, you're like Zeke. You run out saying, guys, guys, did you get this? God's given us his spirit, and his spirit overflows in super abundance from our life. Now, what does that look like? Well, Warren Wiersbe says of this passage, he says, the Holy Spirit does not work instead of us. It's not like he works and we have nothing to do, nor does he work in spite of us as if you know, it's contrary to us, but rather he works in us and through us. And so uh, if, you, if you're to look at the kind of the job description of the Holy Spirit, you know, it's, okay, what's his job? What's his role really? You find that there's a lot of different ministries that he performs in the life of a believer. When he received this gift, he does a lot of different things, but I'll give you two this morning to think about. The first is that he leads us. The Spirit leads us, that is, in an intimate journey, so it's not, he, he leads us by being with us, in us and with us forever, so it's an intimate journey together. But notice Romans eight fourteen: all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. You're children of God, you are led by the Spirit of God. It's, the, it's the, his provision for us, Galatians 5, 16. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. It's not that you're trying to commit, trying to follow the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law to try to please God. And all. No, actually the Spirit leads you and you fulfill it. You fulfill the commandments of loving others because of your love for Christ and the empowerment of the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we, so we live our life paying attention to the Spirit's leading in our life. And as we do that, he leads us into the work and the will of God as revealed in the Word of God. But he does that. Here's the second thing he's doing. He's filling us with his empowering presence. He brings the power. So it's not just he tells you to love somebody and, you know, you should love others like Christ loved you. Well, that's true. But he not only tells you that, he gives you the power to do that. So Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine. That's just going to lead to a mess or debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And what does that mean or what's that look like? Well, Paul prayed for the Ephesians, just a chapter earlier. He said that according to the riches of glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. There's that idea of the Spirit giving power. How? Through the Spirit. Where? In your inner being. Not physical power inner power. He's changing us from the inside out so that what will happen? Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That as you understand this, as you be experienced, the Spirit filling your life, He not only leads you through the commands, the Word of God, but He gives you the power to live that life. This is again one of those moments where you're like, like Zeke, guys, guys, did you get this? Not only does God have a great lifestyle for us to live, it's not debauchery, it's not going to waste our life, it's actually the most significant uh, design in all of life, he's going to give us the power to experience and to do that by his spirit within. He said, 
He, he takes it another step farther in this passage, saying, I will not leave you as orphans. This is Jesus again talking to him. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not, you know, all, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you'll see me because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know, catch this, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I am in him, and he is in me. What does that mean, and how does that fit with all of this? Well, we've walked through last, last week the passage from John chapter 14 that led into this. You might remember Jesus talked about his relationship with the Father, being in the Father and the Father in him. And he said it this way, there's a, a unity in the Trinity. So Father, the, heaven, the Heavenly Father, the uh, Son of God, and the Holy Spirit, they're unified as one and yet distinct as persons. But Jesus said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The Father who dwells in me, he does his work. So this unity between Jesus and the Father, they're one and yet the Father dwelling within him is living out or working through him. And he goes on to say, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or believe on account of the works themselves. That's the unity of the Trinity, that there, there's this interdependence, interpenetration, inner life together where they're one and yet they're distinct as persons. But the Father lives his life in and through Jesus. Now, the most remarkable thing is what he says in our passage that we are included in that experience. We're included in that. He said, in that day, so this verse 29, or 20 there, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, that's what we just talked about, and you in me, and I in you. Later, when he finishes this whole discussion in, the first, in chapter 14 through 16, he prays for us in chapter 17, and his prayer, he says, that all may know or that all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, that's Jesus, and I in you, and that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. We're going to be in Jesus. In what sense? Well, we are included. We are unified. We're put together or put into a relationship with Christ, united with him, so we can say, as the Father, as Jesus is in the Father, the Father is in Jesus, so we're in Jesus and Jesus is in us, so that Jesus can dwell within us and do his works through us. Well, that ought to get you like, guys, guys, I don't understand this, but this is remarkable. What Jesus is telling us is true of discipleship or true of the Christian life. He goes on one more, press it just a little farther, verse 23, where he said, if you love me, you're going to keep my word and the Father will love you. Love him, and we will come and make our home with him. He will come and dwell. The Father and the Son come and dwell within us. So we're given the Spirit, but we're also, we receive the presence of God himself, the Father, Son, and now the Spirit. Come and dwell. That's live their life. Live out their life. And just like you dwell in a house or an apartment, whatever you do, a tent, whatever you dwell in, you live your life out through them. God has come to dwell within us. Guys, guys, do you get this? <laughs> do you get what, God, what Jesus is saying? This is remarkable truths and things. Well, it doesn't stop here. There's one more. 
The third thing he says is that we not only love from the inside out and then learn to live from the inside out, but we learn from the inside out. Jesus said in the verse 25 and 26, and the things which I have spoken to you while I was still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, when the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, now this is pretty remarkable as well, is that the Spirit who he gives to us is going to teach all things and bring to memory what is needed. So you might think in terms of the, you know, when you teach your child something, teach them, usually you teach them, you know, you kind of instruct them and teach them how to do something, maybe some chore, maybe some task and all, but rarely does they get it on the first time or do they keep doing it once they've been taught once, right? (laughs) You actually have to remind them over and over (laughs) and over again. God knew it was no different for us. He gave us the Spirit to teach us, to give us understanding, but also to remind us of those things over and over and over again. Now, a couple comments on this. First is, this is why you should trust your Bible, why you should trust the, the New Testament, because sometimes people wonder, well, how do we know that the apostles got it right when they wrote their, the Gospels and these various letters and all? And the answer, in part, is right here. Because God, because Jesus promised them and the Father sent the Spirit of God to teach them. They had learned from Jesus, but now the Spirit would teach them all things and remind them of the things that he taught. So that when they recorded Scripture, they were inspired by the Spirit like the prophets of old. They were inspired to write the Word of God. That's why we have confidence that what we have is God's Word and why we follow it, we teach it and follow it. But there's something even more than just, this isn't just for back then in the apostles. The Spirit is given to us today, and so he has some of the similar kind of uh, uh, ministry in our hearts, in our lives, of bringing understanding or illumination. Sometimes the Bible uses the word enlightenment, where, where suddenly you understand something about God that you didn't understand before. Well, that's the Spirit teaching you. He's bringing understanding to you. Or he reminds you because you've forgotten to do something. He reminds you of the importance of loving your wife or loving your neighbor or even loving your enemy. In the circumstance you find yourself, he's reminding us of what we've learned in the past but need reminded to live in the present. That's why it's so important for us to prayerfully study God's Word together, to meditate on it, to think about it deeply, to memorize it, to get it into our hearts so He has it to to teach us. Wearsby again, quoting him on this passage, he said, "The The Spirit of truth uses the Word of truth to guide us into the will and the work of God. This is life from the inside out. It's It's God loving from the inside. It's God giving us understanding of the Bible uh, by His Spirit and teaching us so that we can live the way that He, uh, His will and His work in our lives. So, what have we seen in this passage? Well, it's a, there's a lot more in this passage. I'd invite you to go back and consider it on your own, but at least this much, guys, guys, at least this much that 
It's loving from the inside out. We obey him because we love him. It's living from the inside out. He's given us his spirit. It's learning from the inside out. So those pairs that we saw, we love and obey. The spirit dwells in us and, we, and is with us forever. He's in us and with us forever. Jesus is in the Father, and now we are in him, and he is in us. The Father and the Son and Spirit have come to dwell within us, to live their life through us, and the Spirit will teach and remind us of all things. Yeah, that's worth getting excited about. <laughs> that's worth being like Zeke. And you might not understand it all, but what an adventure to experience more and more fully the work of God in our life. It's, Christian life isn't just some moral, do this, be like, be like them. It's not that. It's actually, no, it's come and experience God transforming your life by His Spirit. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I know too often I'm oblivious to these truths or I'm distracted by everything else in life. Uh, I get self-centered and self-dependent and and miss out on these. But, Lord, I would pray for myself. I'd pray for my friends here. I'd pray that we all would experience a deeper sense of what you want to do in our life through your Spirit, this helper that you've given us. Thank you so much that you, Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit have come to dwell within us, to make your residence in our heart, not just to be there, but to live your life through there so that we can do the will and the work of the Lord. Let us please you in everything we do. We love you and pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this message from Crossway Community Church. Once again, we meet at 1045 on Sunday mornings at 1501 Woodbury Road, which is just off Colonial and 408 in East Orlando. Come check us out. I'll see you then.